welcome to our beautiful event here. Um, what is very important, everybody can help with that. We need to really get a good reach on um, getting a lot of people to be exposed to this good information. So I would ask you to share the room. You can do so by clicking the three dots in the top right corner. That's the ellipsis. And then it'll bring you to a page where you have information where you can share the room. There should also be a paper plane or an arrow icon in the button. Uh, that is also a way to share the room. Um, I also want to make everyone aware of the fact that we can use uh, emojis, reactions to show our speakers that we are interested in what they say. Um, so we can test that again. Some of you have already discovered that button, but um, it is a little emoji, it's a little face there, smiley face. If, if you could just hover over it or click it again and give us a heart, that uh, would be good. So we have Laura doing that great. Uh, some people in the audience, come on, give us a heart. Um, there we go, Carrie did that. Awesome. Okay. Fantastic. Um, this event is going to be recorded and published on a podcast. So if you want to be on the list of that podcast, you can go to healthcarespeakerseries.com, healthcarespeakerseries.com. My name is Shanka Ponsele, and together with Andrea Ferguson, I run an agency based in San Antonio, Texas, that focuses on public relations, online visibility. And uh, if you are interested in knowing how that could happen for yourself or for your company, just shoot us a message. As a lot of you know, I have actually a very personal connection to the topic today, uh, the opioid crisis, because before my immigration to the United States in 2011, I was active as a law enforcement officer in uh, Europe, in Luxembourg. And during a good amount of my time, I worked uh, within a railway district in Luxembourg and I was exposed to the very, very complicated situations that uh, drug addiction uh, poses for all kinds of uh, members of the society. Nobody is really uh, safe from uh, falling into the illness of addiction. And it leads to a lot of sorrow, a lot of pain. And I was able to see that firsthand um, as, a, again, a law enforcement officer. And I saw uh, some of the kind of worst things I've ever seen in my life within that realm. Luckily, nowadays, I am much more involved with people and companies that are either trying to prevent uh, that from happening in the first place or uh, people and companies that have very good ways to combat the crisis or help someone out of the addiction. Um, but let's now go to our keynote speaker today, uh, Dr. Brenya Chumacy. So hello, everyone, and thank you for having me. 
this is an extremely important topic battling the opioid crisis that has been going on, as you know, audience, for too long. And I see in the audience, thank you for coming, people who are well aware of this professionally. And we'll love to hear, hear what you have to share later on. So I'm going to do this as briefly as possible. Um, my point is about 20 minutes, so bear with me. And if I talk too fast because of the 20 minutes that I'm putting two hours of information into 20 minutes, please write a note and I'll be able to get that message and go slower. Okay, Shankar, are you there now? I guess not, he's on mute. All right, so let me, let me continue. So I'm going to break down our presentation today into 10 parts. I know we enjoy knowing how it's, what we're gonna cover. So I'm gonna go over my credentials real quick because the audience deserves to know why do I have the say-so. And then we're gonna talk about drug overdose rates and we're going to talk about fentanyl specifically, names of the pertinent drugs on the streets, including normal gummies that our children like to eat. Then we'll go on to Narcon. We're going to talk about the dealers, the sociopathic type dealers. Then date rape, college binges. And we're going to talk about correctional facilities for a minute. And then we're going to stay with our children as an actionable item. So you can see I have about two minutes for each topic. So bear with me. Are we all good? All right. So here we go with first my credentials. So I, I'm in three distinct separate fields. And not to bore everyone, I'll just say quickly, laws first and criminal justice and psychology. And in terms of this specific topic, I have so much to share about my background, but all I'll share is this. I have been an eight-year member of the Texas Gang Investigation Membership. I've been a member of the Homeland Security, and I've been a member of the high-intensity drug trafficking area. So I have only updated information to give you because I think giving your time and energy listening to this, you deserve the updated information. And I want to give a disclaimer as well. My students, I have many students, university students, about 600 a semester, they, they remind me, which I love, that we, the people who are so-called specialists, we do a lot of talking, but what else do we do? They want action. So in this particular topic of opioids and fentanyl in the U.S., there is a lot of action, a lot of action. So be aware of that. But we do, unfortunately or fortunately, have to brief, have to converse, and have to talk about it so that people do know how to flow in this era of life we're in right now. Okay, so in talking about that, let's go to first what would be most important to the audience, and that is drug overdose death rates. So a disclaimer, we have had drug overdose death rates for decades. We've had an issue of opioids and overdoses with opioids for decades. However, we still have it, and the data shows that it's still climbing, and it shows that from 2022, it climbed a little bit, but there's a reason why just a little bit, which I'll explain a little bit. So we get our data from the DEA, our colleagues from the DEA, from the National Center for Health Statistics, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And these statistics are for 2023 provisional because 
when we collect the data, it's after, right, the overdose. It's after the medical examiner has determined the cause of death. And it takes a while then to place within our data banks. And that's why it's called provisional drug overdose death counts. So the work we do, I'm trying to carry across to you, is so critically important. We don't rush it. All these different agencies I've mentioned. We want to give specific numbers. We do not want to do error. So I say this so we have a respect for the rest of what I shall share with us. Okay. Then also our wonderful CDC, which we heard a lot about during the COVID era, right? They also report drug overdoses and also non-fatal overdoses. So for now, 2021, because remember where the disclaimer came in, more than 106,000 persons in the U.S. died from drug-involved overdose. So here you take a pause and listen to the language because we're very specific. That's drug overdose. We didn't say fentanyl. We didn't say opioid, right? And again, you now know why it's 2021 because we're very careful with each year's data. But that includes the illicit drug overdoses and the prescription opioids, which means that you now want to know, okay, 106,000 2021. How about the prescription opioid deaths? So people on prescription opioids were 16,706 died. See the difference? 106,000, 16,000 prescription from medical doctors, from pharmacists, overdosed. So now let's go to 2022, because 2023 we haven't completed, right? So bear with that. There have been 120,000 deaths. Okay. So we're going to come back to fentanyl, but I want to go real quick in maybe two minutes. So take a breath and listen to this because it's very important you get this. The different names of drugs that are on the streets in our country, the U.S. Now, once I've said that, this is a global issue. Listeners oftentimes like to point a finger at the U.S. because the U.S. is, you know, the baby country, basically, and says a lot, open, has data, talks about things. So the U.S. gets a lot of hits. I want to say that, but in other nations that are tinier, much tinier than the U.S., it can be worse. So I'm so happy that we're on this platform that I'm able to say that because people don't use mathematics or physics correctly when they're trying to see which country is the worst. So I want to tell our audience in the future to, to be careful with the math. So here we go. Here are the names of drugs. Fentanyl, synthetic opioids, morphine, opium, oxycondone, heroin, hydromorphone, amphetamines, I said that wrong, barbiturates, bath salts, benzos, cocaine, depressants, DXM, it's a lot, right? Ecstasy, also known as molly, hallucinogens, fake prescription pills, yep. GHB, which is the gamma hydroxybutyric acid, hallucinogens, depressants, inhalants, Ketamine, cat, kratom, 
LSD, alpha PVP, flaca, marijuana. People don't know the dangers of the marijuana and the laced marijuana. Methadone, meth, peyote. Hold on. Um, sorry about that. Pesilbin, rofinol, salvia, spice, steroids, stimulants. And that'll be enough. That's on the street. That's a lot. Plus the competition of making the designer drugs, which are cheaper, synthetic forms. So now, as I promised you, looking at the time, I'm going to go to go to fentanyl. So I'm sure those who are in the audience now know about fentanyl. But we have in our region of the country about five deaths a day just from the fentanyl. So you see we're extracting fentanyl. I'm going to talk about that for a while. We could talk about it for an hour. So notice so much more information. So these drugs that I mentioned to us, which you needed to know, so that you have a clear understanding of what's before us and what's behind us and what's here today, what's here tomorrow, hopefully gone the next day, is that fentanyl is used, and the design of fentanyl now as well, to lace these drugs I mentioned, including the gummies that children like to eat. And the potency of the fentanyl in terms of searching for, say, a better high than the tolerance level one has been on, is what attracts people to certain dealers. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit too. So the fentanyl has gotten way out of hand. And what that means is that all law enforcement officers, and people tend to think law enforcement officers are police. So here's my opportunity to define what that is. Law enforcement officers include national security officers. They include all of them, such as FBI, DEA, lawyers, judges, Police are the gatekeepers. So we're going to talk about the police because we know that most all of them are great people. We know statistically about 85% fantastic people with a calling. They are generally young when they come into academy and then they go on the street. So imagine this. So there's a car accident. And the police officer comes right away. The police officer is 24 years old. And the person in the car seems to not be able to breathe well. So the police officer is going to try to resuscitate the person or help them. Meanwhile, it's because of a fentanyl overdose that the car accident took place. Who would know that? And so the police officer now has ingested fentanyl and can die quickly now as well. So their partner, if they had a partner, they stopped, would have to give them as fast as possible Narcon. So let's talk about Narcon. Narcon is, looks sort of like a little tiny asthma inhaler. And the EMTs know how to administer it. But we, the people, don't. Most of us don't. So people are being trained state by state, because this is under state law, not federal law, on how to just simply use the tool of the Narcon. Because if they can have that, for example, police officer inhale it quickly, his life will be saved as the EMTs come to take him to the hospital or her. Okay, I want to give that story so one can know the calling that 
the gatekeepers have on the streets, the way, highways, and the byways. So they've been dying as well. Now, pharmacists, thanks to tech tools, have created a database. One of my friends, my best, best friend, sister friend, is a pharmacist, and she was one of the first to spend two years as a pharmacist creating the database. So I know a lot of details about that, but there's no time. Where now all the doctors, this is not something to be taken for granted because it wasn't there five, 10 years ago. All the doctors can see their patients' opioid sources, their medications they take, and so on and so forth. So, of course, confidentiality is important, but one doctor, for example, had shared that their patient seemed to look, when she looked at the database, as a dealer. And the patient was pregnant. So that's all I'm going to say. Now, with that one case, you can imagine how that could be um, multiplied. And I don't have time to talk about the vaping and the lacing of the vaping. I don't have time to talk about one of my areas, human traffic victims, how they're drugged up right away within a continuum line. So as they're drugged up, they have to first try to run away, get back home, but they can't. They're on drugs. So these dealers and these human traffic unconscionable criminals are very slick about how they do that. But on TV, one hears, okay, um, someone was human trafficked and got stuck and addicted on drugs. It's not like that. It could be you who's human trafficked, and right away, within five minutes, you're given a drug. So you can't get up. You can't run. And that drug is continued to be administered to you for the next week, and the less of it for the next year. So I hope you feel what's going on with all these different moving parts in the globe. And I hope you stop just thinking about the U.S. The U.S. is the one that talks about it. It's more open. But the globe is in trouble. So university students also, they share, you see them. You see their eyes, some of them. But you don't say anything, but you try to help. There are many people in this country, and remember the globe, that are dying from all of this and leaving loved ones behind. Let's talk about the loved ones real quick. The babies they're leaving behind. The toddlers. The children, the teenagers, the young adults, they're leaving them behind by dying. All right. And correctional facilities, whole other issue. We have diverse correctional facilities, another part of my expertise, which I won't go into too much time, another hour on that. But dealing goes on there as well. And people do die there as well. So this week's update in the region of Texas was announced that animal tranquilizers were found in the drugs that people are trying to put in their system mixed with fentanyl. And that this week has increased deaths. Animal tranquilizers. And there's one called Exlazine. It's a tranquilizer medication for the larger animals like horses, cattle, even elephants. And it's made its way into illegal drugs on the streets. Now, 
we know that this opioid crisis started on the Northeast, especially in Philadelphia, and it's still currently the worst there. And we, on the other side of the United States, thought, okay, we're okay, it's not here. But those of us who are mathematicians, statisticians, we knew, well, it's coming, but we hope it's not. You know, we got to have hope. Well, now it's here. It's everywhere. So the DEA, talking about action, not just talk, because I want people to know it's not just talk. They're wonderful professionals all over the country working hard on different elements, diverse elements of this issue. DEA is one. The DEA is dedicated to enforce it. Controlled substances laws and regulations, investigating criminals and drug gangs that are trafficking illegal drugs, and different activities as regulating. The DEA regulates, people don't know this, the manufacture and the distribution of controlled pharmaceuticals. Okay, so I bring that up just to show, again, we have to respect the process and we've got to support the people. And again, DEA falls under law enforcement because these are the people, and many I've mentioned, like the clinics, the social workers, that are working on this day by day. Can you imagine you doing that? Every day for weeks and years. That's a calling. Okay. So, um... I've spoken for about 15 minutes, so let me hurry now and tell me to slow down if I go too fast. Now, the Narcon, which will save lives, is now over-the-counter per states. Why is it over-the-counter per states? Because the issue is out of hand. Narcon's not supposed to be over-the-counter, but it's so out of hand that to care and have empathy and sympathy and love people, it has to be over-the-counter. So certain states, the 50 states, and remember, those from Europe who are listening, the U.S. is gigantic. The United Kingdom fits totally in one state, the state of Texas, with space left. Those from, say, Africa, from a place like Ghana. Ghana's tiny. It's the size of Illinois or Indiana. That's it. So when we discuss this globally, as we do as leaders, Let's come to the table, educate, and thank the U.S. for talking openly and not being afraid to talk about the dealers and so on. So back to Narcon. So per state, it's not federal. The states, given the law, are permitted to decide Narcon being over-the-counter or not. And it's, as I said before, it's like a nasal spray. And some of the states, as I said before, give guidance on how to use it, Right? So now let's switch. Let's do switcheroo. Let's talk about little babies. We know this. Babies are born with drugs in their blood. We know this. This has gone on forever. But it's just a little bit more now. And what we say, how we speak it out is statistically speaking about babies born with opioids in their blood. It's secondary to the mothers ingesting the opioids and ingesting given our verbiage, means by mouth or by injection. So now let's go to those wonderful sociopathic, psychopathic dealers who give excuses about how they need the money. I want you to know this word. It's really important because we get into the dealers. The signature of the dealer 
is what we look for. The signature of the deal is who we can find. And guess what? The customer who wants that opioid on the street, that fentanyl-laced opioid, is looking for it, but doesn't know it. Do you know why? This is going to sound sick. But when their buddy, their friend, died from the overdose, they actually think, wow, who was that dealer? Because that signature of that dealer was pretty powerful, potent. My friend died from it. What a high. I'm smarter than my friend. I'm going to go get that high, too, because the tolerance level I have now isn't doing it for me. So let me get what my friend got. Then they died. That's why the word signature is so important. So fentanyl is coming up with different derivatives of fentanyl. China. I'm going to throw in, um, I, I'm, how about this? I'm totally an independent thinker, totally. Those who know me know that. Um, I, I call most politicians jokers. I just do. But you know something? The one that we know is Trump. He, he confronted China. So I'm throwing that in for controversy. He confronted China, the only one that did. Because China has been a big dealer to send us that fentanyl. And again, it'll take another hour to explain that. Just putting it out there. The synthetics that they're working on over there is worked on because it's so cheap to place one little ml of fentanyl within the drug and get much more money, 1.1. It's much more potent than fentanyl. So to explain it quickly, since I'm not doing the math here, it has all the properties of fentanyl. So say you needed 5 ml of fentanyl. Now you just need 0.1 ml of these new drugs. Do you see the problem we're in now? Okay. So that's how we hook in the sex slave of human trafficking, or maybe you want to get a liver from someone illegally their organs illegally. People don't think of that. So they give them just a little bit of fentanyl. Now let's go quickly to correctional facilities. I, I have about five minutes left. I mentioned that, so I'm going to skip it, but date rape. I will not leave date rape out. And I'm going to talk about our children with that. See, the college students, remember when you were young and remember those college students who are listening now? You go, you go to a nightclub with your friends. This good-looking person Send you a drink. That era is over. Don't take it. Oh, no, wait. We watched when the bartender poured it. That era is over. Do not take it. But you're a little bit high from the ecstasy of the wine you drank. Don't take it. Now, toddlers. Let's go to toddlers. Two-year-olds, three-year-olds. You know how you share that bottled water with your toddler? Stop. Don't do it. Because you're conditioning their brains, psychology, pardon me, you condition their brain to say it's a-okay to drink from a bottle that was shared with mom or dad or auntie or uncle. You can't do that anymore. We're in a different era. We're in a reset pandemic of opioids. Don't do it anymore. Because then when they're five and six, they'll still do it without thinking. You know that. You've seen your children or your grandchildren do it or your nephews and nieces. Now, when the child is older than a toddler, and they place their drink or bottle down somewhere at the gym or something to come back to. That's kind of normal, right? They got to stop doing that. 
it's their bottle. They're going to take it home. Fine. Take it home. But if you place the glass or a container that's not yours at this wonderful party, and hey, you know almost everybody, and you went somewhere to talk, I can tell you for about 20 years or more, I think 30 years, given my training, people don't notice. I don't pick it up again. I don't drink it. I've just walked across to another place. I just won't. I may take it politely to the kitchen and pour it down to drink. That's the era we live in. So, children, the last part I'll say about children, I have one more minute, is the era of saying things like, oh, you know, I got a good spanking, and so on and so forth. That's been long gone, but not every culture is caught up with that. Long gone, I teach that for another hour. It doesn't work, and I teach the whole biology of that. What works now and has always worked since we were created, designed, is you have to have a nurturing environment for your child so that same child truly and openly trusts you and truly and openly will come and talk to you about their friend twice removed down the next street who took a drug. Otherwise, they won't. Then you can talk open to them because the era is over of keeping these things quiet. Remember in the past, you can talk to your children about sex and so on. Well, now it's also drugs. Well, you say, Brenya, we've been talking about drugs. Look at the schools. No, I mean a different way, intimately. Tell them, talk to them. What age group? Some children are geniuses at age six or seven. So say about age six, seven, eight. And talk to them in a way that it's loving, not scary. It's mom and dad chatting. They love you. They trust you. You don't spank them. You redirect them. So now I pass it over to the panel. And please don't be bored with my voice. Thank you for listening. Oh, my God. Can you all hear me now? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, it's impossible to be bored with the way you present that information. I mean... I've been I've been out of touch actively working in in the field for some years and what you have just presented is really mind-boggling and there are so many developments that I had no idea of and um it's just I'm I want at this point again ask our audience to consider sharing this room because it's just such life-saving literally life-saving information so if you would please click the three dots at the top and share the room or use the share icon at the bottom, I would really appreciate that. Um, we have Laura Tomlinson here on our panel, the CEO of New Choices Treatment Centers. And um, I'm just very curious, Laura, I don't know if you are in a position where you can talk, we'll find out soon, but um, you are at uh, basically at the, literally at the front of fighting all of this. And I'm very curious if in your everyday work, you see, you recognize some of, some of the things that Dr. Brenya just mentioned, specifically also the uh, problem with fentanyl and uh, maybe even animal tranquilizers. Laura. Hi, yes, can you guys hear me? Yes. All right. Thank you, doctor. That was great information. I really appreciate everything that you shared with us. So as Shankar had asked, we do, we experience that pretty much on a daily basis here. We have clients that come in to our treatment center, you know, their drug of choice, it's 
it ranges and some come in for alcohol all the way up to even coming in and admitting that they have a problem with the fentanyl. Um, so yeah, we see that on a daily basis. We recently implemented bringing a drug dog onto our site once a month and the dog is actually hitting on some of these, she mentioned the vapes. Um, so they are, they're putting it in the vape. We don't understand, well, how are you getting it in there? Because this is a disposable device, but it's happening. It's scary. It's terrifying. Something that we do here is we train all of our staff to be able to use Narcan. Um, we also have a family program once a month, and we actually teach the family members how to use the Narcan. If the client's a high-risk AMA, they want to leave against medical advice, and we know that their drug of choice is the opiates or the fentanyl, we'll actually send them away with the Narcan because we, the last thing we want them to do is go out and use again and overdose and die because they're going to go try to use the exact same amount they were using before they came in here or even more. So we get it. I mean, we, we're right there on the front lines trying to fight this thing ourselves. Yeah, from what I understand, really a, a, a lot more people who are in vulnerable situations and also younger individuals are at risk. We are hearing um toddlers, babies, uh, teenage co teenagers, college students being exposed to all of these very strong substances. Do you see that as well in your everyday work? Yes, we do. We see, you know, they ha we have, because of the family involvement here at our center, we talk to the, the loved ones of the clients that we have and they talk about how, you know, that it's in their home. So the children are exposed to it as well, you know, so we just try to educate as much as possible. Something that uh, Dr. I can't say your last name, so I don't want to butcher it. Um, Dr. Bremia. <laughs> something that we, that the clients here, they think is, it's not going to happen to them, you know, and recently we found out that the dealers out on the streets are even asking the client, the, the person that's buying the drugs from them, if they specifically want the fentanyl in their drugs. So it's like it's being marketed out there and it's, it's just scary. Because the, the mentality is it's not going to happen to me. I mean, that's what a lot yeah. of people that are out there using think, you know, it may have happened to my friend, but that's not going to happen to me. So they, they it's, they're, it's like playing Russian roulette, you know, it's just the next time they get high, they could be the one that overdoses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, I have a question because we also have um, Kelly Pickett here on stage, uh, who is a insurance broker, insurance agent. And I know that is always um, a topic. I don't know how often uh, I know of people who are desperately in need of help, but it's just so difficult to finance uh, the help. Uh, can you speak a little bit to that and also to what alternatives and what options do people have who are financially not in a position to afford uh, your services? Okay, thank you, Shankar. And thank you, Dr. Brenya. It was a lot of great information. Um, so to be honest, before I... Um, started on this panel, I did not have a lot of information. I had a lot of general use information. But once I started doing my research, um, it became very clear that 
there's no answer to this problem. So starting with one of the first things you asked me is what do I do as an insurance broker? Um, there have been cases where I do need to help my client find a facility and something that works. And let me tell you, when you're, you have an F, an ACA type plan, something that's not group. Group coverage tends to cover facilities a little better, but it's very difficult to find insurances that are going to cover recovery centers um, and not have the client or the patient be responsible for something. So as far as the economics of recovery, um, it's hard. It's hard to find facilities that will take on patients and not um, and the cost and, and the cost isn't astronomical for them. So that's one mm-hmm. thing. Um, but through my research, and you know, one of the thing, one of the questions that were posed to me ahead of time was what are carriers, what are my what are the insurance carriers doing to do this, doing to help with the opioid crisis? And one of the things I found out was I feel like with everything that I read that I'm sitting in a room where there's a lot of talking going on and there's a little bit of action, but nothing in the amount that needs to be done. You know, so a lot of my research came from CMS, which is the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid. And when I read through this and what they put out, and it feels like they feels when you read it that it's a lot of information about statistics, which is really great. And then they focus on the things like providing the Narcan and the other medications that help in the recovery process, like methadone and the drugs that stop the cravings, the drugs that stop the feeling of high that help, from what I understand through my reading, help in the recovery process. But they still don't touch on how to stop it to begin with. You know, what are the things that we can do ahead of time to help control this? And in our stepping out of all of this as an insurance broker, so this is kind of a different, you know, 30,000 foot view. As a broker, I see that the culture of medicine is a high volume, little time. So when you're asking a practitioner or a a medical professional to spend such a small amount of time with their patients, how can they possibly learn of potential characteristic traits or potential uh, cues that they're putting forward that they may be more likely to become addicted? So how, how could they possibly have the tools to be able to not even unintentionally prescribe something that's going to lead their patient down this dark path. So I feel like there's a long way for us to go to get in front of this, even from the prescribing of the medication to begin with. So um, again, like I've said multiple times, I think that talking is great. Talking is going to get it out there because a lot of the stuff that I found out today, you know, it's great that they put this out, but if nobody reads what's out there and no one's listening to what's out there, you know, it, you become a little comfortable with what it is. You, you don't become, it's not as out, you're not as outraged as you probably should be. So I just want to encourage people like Dr. Brynja 
Lori, um, keep doing what you're doing and keep educating because I think it's very important. Thank you, Kelly. Uh, Laura, what uh, observations do you have in terms of access and affordability to help people when they really want it? Uh, and what can you do in your position? Or is there anything you can do in your position when the finances are not there? So I can speak on what we do here at New Choices. Every, mm -hmm. every treatment center is going to be different, but our main goal is to help people. Um, we we want to provide the client with the best care possible. So if they can't financially meet the out-of-pocket or the deductible that their insurance has, um, our admissions team will work with the client as far as setting up a financial agreement that would be affordable for them and their family. Um, like I said, we, we want to help people. There are mm -hmm. times the insurance won't even pay. I mean, we'll look at potentially giving someone a scholarship because we just want to help. That's yeah. what we do here. Um, there, there are programs out there once the client's been in treatment for a little bit here in San Antonio that will help with funding as far as helping the client get into sober living. There's pay it forward. And there are a few other options that our case managers work with the client on as far as helping them financially. But for the most part, you know, we just do what we can on the front end um, with the financial agreements based mm -hmm. upon what the insurance is going to cover or won't cover. But, but again, if a client's mid-treatment and insurance doesn't want to help cover anymore, then we're going to do what we can to make sure that they get the care they need. And that, that may mean a scholarship. Mm -hmm. mm, thank you. Yeah, it's not it's not easy because all those... Um, amazing professionals of course need to be compensated as well in the process um before i open it up for maybe some questions from the audience i want to uh, bring uh, dr brenya back uh, maybe you have some additional thoughts based on what was just shared dr brenya um thank you 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 felt me you felt my vibe <laughs> yes um i i do we have solutions as to how we can get together. We, we're savvy with technology. It's not a big deal for us um, here on the panel. I'm talking about us, defining us. So we know how to join up. But, you know, just like when um, George Bush Jr. was president and 9-11 happened and Homeland Security came along, it took a while, which I teach. It took about two years before they didn't want to be territorial, that's that word, and get together and start sharing stuff. It's the same today because I think from a psychological point of view, it's kind of like human nature. It's an exceptional human being like those of us in the audience today and those of us on the panel, exceptional human beings who want to share and join up because the share, I have to emphasize, not talk, talk, talk. Don't think that those of us who are talking, talking, that's all we do, no. But we come and talk like you said. So the sentence I'm going to give up to all of you listening and then keep quiet is this. Stop being narcissistic, professionals. And get together with those of us who are definitely specialists in these different diverse areas. And all of us on the platforms, whether there are 120 of us, 1,000 of us, get together regularly not for talk, 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 but to do the action that you just spoke about, Kelly and Laura. 
And that's how it'll work. But the problem we have is human nature of being territorial with our own specialty. And that's why it's not working. Even our own circles don't support us. It's a thankless job that we do, what we're talking about today, totally thankless. And we need a lot of emotional support. We need a lot of questions. We need people to support us in all ways, even like what Laura, Laura and Kelly. They need grants. They need money. They need the family members, their loved ones, their circles, their acquaintances, their high school friends to say, we're checking in on you. What do you need from us? We'll get to it. That doesn't happen. It needs to happen. So thank you for asking me. You felt my vibe. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> you are amazing, Dr. Brenya. Um, and mm -hmm. I just, I'm just so happy the way you present information and that you actually... Usually we ask people to come on our show, but this time you requested specifically for this topic. And I think it is an important one. And we're going to continue the conversation. Yeah, Andrea, I, you have some thoughts? Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for, uh, for asking me my thoughts. Um, Dr. Brunia, you hit the nail on the head. And it, I was, the only thing I was thinking is like, wow, I sit in the seat uh, as a, a COO of a... Um, of our company, Shanks, um, with all that we do, what can I do? What can I do? And I just kept thinking with entrepreneurial success, give back, give back. I think about the New Start Summer Program, which was a bridge program that I participated in as a University of Arizona college student. And um, it was in the moments where we were learning through um, peer support, they have training programs. You know, you have behavioral health specialists that are coming in. And so the New Start Summer Program is for, like, Arizona's rural or underserved communities, uh, people from that <clears throat> from all kinds of demographics. But the, the point is, so it's a six-week program, and it preps you, bridging you from high school to college. And, and these, these programs need support, they need funding, um, they need funding for their specialists that they're training, they need grants to help the programs even go on, but there's so much that you learn in that period of time that can help you to understand what's going on, help you to understand what to avoid and how to navigate and move through a different phase of life that even if you've been sheltered all your life and suddenly you're getting into the college setting and you're exposed to so many things, well, you have the route of actually going towards your degree or going towards recovery, you know? And I think that it starts in, like, if you're wondering what practically to do to check in at, if you have a program that you, that was helpful to give back to it. I'm thinking about the certifications, the apprenticeship programs that, um, you know, these specialists need to be able to train and then be able to go out and engage and do more education and help us to understand more about mental health, more about substance use disorders and, and what we can practically do uh, to be on the ground and help. And sometimes it really does come down to money. So for me, I'm just like, well, I got to grind because I want to give back to my community that poured so much into me. And I want people to be able to get access to the healthcare that they need. Uh, especially because there's usually these 
comorbidities that are happening. People have a lot of things that they need addressed and there's all kinds of reasons why people fall into addiction. I'm not a specialist in that area, but I can say that just having a collective support system um, goes so much further than um, the eye can see. And so when you pour back into programs that are, they have their, their grassroots programs, their campaigns and all of the things that they do, um, money does talk and you, you know, you can watch these programs grow or die. And, and for me, I'm just going to get in contact with my local university and see what's available where I can help them because I know that these kinds of commitments do help them with their goals. And then maybe we can see some change. Yes. Thank you, Andrea. Um, yeah, let's bring some people up on stage who want to join in on the conversation. Uh, raise your little virtual hand to be in the bottom right corner. If you want to ask a question to our panelists, or maybe you just have a comment you want to contribute. Um, also, this is a professional platform and the people here on stage, they obviously want to make a change. They want to be helpful. So get in touch with them. If you want to talk to a CEO of a treatment center, get in touch with Laura. If you want to know about health insurance options and Kelly works with a lot of alternative ways, uh, get in touch with Kelly. Um, if you want to talk more about the academics of solving this, get in touch with Dr. Brenya. And if you want to learn how to establish a personal brand, how to have conversations online, on LinkedIn, get in touch with either myself or Andrea. All right, bringing Aaron up now. And you just would have to unmute yourself. Welcome to stage, Aaron. Oh, thank you. Uh, thanks, everyone, for this insightful discussion. I appreciate it. Uh, it's interesting to hear the different sides of the story. You usually hear about the person that's having the problem, but not really the solutions. And I've been a little bit moved by the what I've heard today and the expertise that's been shared today. Um, but I want to take a moment to highlight maybe a different perspective on this issue and run that resonates with me uh, on a personal level. My daughter is a musician, and she uh, recently wrote a song, A Letter to Addiction, after seeing uh, these things personally um, with people. And she understood the how it affects not just the person, but the family around it, and it's a little bit bigger than that. And sometimes I believe that you know art has a power to inspire change and foster the empathy as well. And I think in the context of this conversation, you know, music serves as a as a poignant reminder of uh, you know the human impact of everything that's going on. But uh, just wanted to offer that up if you get a chance and you want to listen to her song. It's called "A Letter to Addiction." It's a very beautiful song. It was uh, so moving that somebody, uh, an actual producer, had reached out to her to create a video for her for this song. So just wanted to throw that out there. And I know uh, music and art is also a different way of looking at, at, at things and help solving problems. Thank you. Yeah, Aaron, thank you for that comment. I think that a lot of artists are inspired in good and bad ways by um, substances. I mean, there's a lot of great artists throughout history who have um, seen their success and their demise because of substances. So. This is really nice. Where is it on YouTube or where can we find the song? Uh, it, it, 
I don't, it's almost on a, I think it's on most streaming services and it's just called a letter to addiction. And her name is Audrey Nicole. And the amazing thing about this whole story is that she's 15 years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, definitely. I will definitely check that out. Thank you, Aaron. Bringing up uh, Sinead Moray next. Welcome. Hey. Hey, what's up, Shankar? Um, Dr. Brenya, I loved your I loved your share. Um, and I think that talking about this more is important because what I think that most people don't realize is a lot of the fentanyl overdoses, like you were sharing, happens because it's like laced drugs. They don't even know that they're taking fentanyl. And the next second, you know, they could just be sleeping dead. Um so that's also kind of very sad uh, that most of them don't even know what's happening to them at the time. Yeah, that is crazy. I mean, just thinking again about all our uh, younger generations that are exposed to these situations in so many ways. And I really love how, again, Dr. Brenya has raised awareness of, uh, around that. And I think probably many of us will act differently. Uh, Dr. Brenya, do you want to react? Oh, Sinead, thank you um, for your heart, for who you are. Thank you. You're an awesome person, and we all on the panel bless you to continue doing your awesome work, and I hope you're synergized today. And Aaron, tell your daughter, tell your daughter how we respect her, big respect to her. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Brenya. Uh, next up, Patricia, it's good to see you on the stage. Um, what are your thoughts, Patricia? Thank you so much. I just wanted to highlight um, how poignant Dr. Brenya's comments were in terms of what used to obtain is no longer so. Um, I think that so frequently, you know, our young people are being brought up in the same image as their parents, but we, they are in a completely different era. Um, this past weekend, I actually am blessed to have two um, um, elite athletes as part of my extended family. My, my niece's kids are swimmers, and they were here in Bermuda, where I live, participating in the Nationals this past weekend. Of course, her daughter, who's the older of the two, has just turned 18. And of course, she's in Bermuda. They live in Canada. So there's a difference between an 18-year-old and a 21-year-old in terms of being able to drink. So this youngster wanted to go out to the club. And I said to her mom, I will take her because I want to make sure she got there in one piece. She wasn't going to take a taxi. I wanted to make sure that she was going to be okay. But the conversation that I had to have with this young woman as we were driving into the city, um, reminded me of how different things are now than when than what used to be. Because I had to say to her, you know, here's some extra money, make sure, buy your own drink. Don't leave your glass hanging around anywhere. If you have to put it down, buy a different drink. Don't take up the same thing. And, you know, and just the idea that they are elite athletes makes them even more of a target if somebody has a, you know, has, has um, clandestine um, intentions. So I just think that to continuously be aware that we are living in different times than what our parents taught us and what we have even taught our children, because now I'm at the stage where I'm having to interact with my great niece and nephew, so it effectively would be my grandchildren, um, and that's just a whole different scenario. So I just wanted to thank uh, Dr. Brenya for 
pointing out the importance of recognizing that our times have changed and it is so critical to be able to live with the times and to understand some of the dangers that could beset our young people, notwithstanding that it may not be intentional. But thank you so much. Yes, that, that can't really be stressed enough and is really the big takeaway from our session. We're reading the top of the hour, so I'm going to give Tara uh, the final word. And um, yeah, Tara, you are up there in Canada, right? Yes, sir. I'm so happy that you guys invited me into this room because this is a phenomenal conversation and it's a much needed conversation. And I can tell you that the fentanyl, especially here in Canada, is a huge problem. And I have two friends that just gave birth to a baby. And after six months, they decided they wanted some time out. They went to a party. We live in a pretty affluent neighborhood. This is a problem all across the globe. It's not a United States problem. It doesn't matter what area. They had brownies and they overdosed both of them. Gone like that within seconds. It's a huge problem and it's across the globe on top of that. I love what you said, Brenya, about the trafficking, because I'm open about it. I talk about it openly. I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed. I come from a background of trafficking. And within 20 minutes, I was drugged. And it happens so fast. And I think spreading awareness is key. I go to all the schools here in my local area, and I, I pitch a little signature talk on that. It's not enough to just do it once or twice throughout the year. It should be mandatory monthly because these guys have gotten very creative how they're doing it with your children. They're selling hair straighteners in little kiosks in the mall because they know all the young girls, they want to straighten their hair and stuff like that. And I've become a volunteer for an hour. And this is how we actually broke down one of these little kiosks in my own neighborhood in a beautiful mall. And it happened so fast when he offered my daughter a second free straightener if she just came by his house. And then as soon as the cops were called, they, they shut down. But apparently they had been doing it through like six or seven malls. It happens everywhere and it happens so fast. So I'm so proud of all of you for standing up and speaking. And I look forward to you doing this room, Shankar, a lot more. And hopefully we can fill it with like hundreds and hundreds of people. So thank you guys. Yes, we'll definitely do this room again. Um, there is so much more to say, uh, Andrea. Oh, oh, my heart. Um, yeah, I was a resident assistant at the University of Arizona for a couple of years, and I can tell you all of the things that I saw, and some of them were, were crazy with needles coming out of arms. You know, a, a girl passed out in the stairwell, and you just run to them, and, you know, you go through all of your training, but sometimes it's not enough. I was a, I was a what was I, not 20, 20 years old, and so that's why I say, like, I just, the only thing I can think is just give, give. <laughs> in my case, you know, and the, and the reason why we want entrepreneurial efforts is because when you can be in control of your own capital and you can take matters into your own hand by giving back to the communities that poured into you and um, educational programs, training programs, all of these things are super necessary. And so I think that, you know, when we live beyond ourselves and, and see beyond our own skin, then that's when we can really um, impact our community and, and help relieve a little bit of pain and addiction. But I can't imagine, um, just like what Patricia was I can't imagine what it would be like to be um, an RA today. I just can't. One last thing, Shankar. I had to have a talk with Liv, who's six years old. My daughter's six years old. I had to candy when it was Halloween for school because they were putting fentanyl 
schools, they were overdosing the kids. That's so horrible. That happened here too, Shanae. They were putting in apples. They were injecting it into apples. And so the parents are inspecting the apples here, which, you know, we don't see any big cuts in them or anything like that, but they're injecting it through needles. That is insane to me. And that's so sad. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we have to, we're going to have another room with this conversation, one that we pushed harder so that we, I mean, we have, this information needs to get in front of everyone essentially. And, um, We'll, we'll do that. For now, please make sure to connect with each other, follow each other, send each other uh, connection requests, please. Um, Aaron, please message me the name again of the song. And uh, thank you all for your time. This couldn't have happened without you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And I'll see you again very, very soon on this beautiful platform. Bye-bye for now.